eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in a deep right center field. Lorenzo King. Got it! Got the ball! To end the game! And we've got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line. It's gone! Manny Machado breaks it open with a three run shot. With veteran play by play voice Josh Lewis. A slam! Ball game! And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. Harper to center, way back. See you later. It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Sitting in for Josh Lewin, I'm Sweeney Murdy, along with the baseball insider John Heyman. You see him everywhere, MLB Network, and also all the Radio.com stations, including 670 The Score in Chicago, and my home station, WFAN in New York. John and I have spent many a hour in the press box together, uh, now sharing uh, an hour with you uh, here on Big Time Baseball. Each week we'll bring you insight into the top storylines across major league baseball including a rundown of the happenings in each division all of our episodes will include a chat with the best baseball voices around the country this week we're chatting with alex anthopoulos the atlanta braves general manager and executive vice president and james rapine cleveland indians reporter for 92.3 the fan a radio.com station in cleveland big time baseball is a part of radio.com which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free anytime anywhere listen to over 300 stations and over 1100 podcasts explore by location or genre to find music news and sports from your own location or across the country you can follow radio.com sports on twitter at rdc sports and be sure to 
subscribe to Big Time Baseball on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. John, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, Sweeney? I'm a little jet-lagged, but I think uh, I think we'll be okay. Uh, as we record, I have just returned from London, where I witnessed the first games in Europe between the Yankees and the Red Sox, and I found it interesting that the first game went 17-13, Yankees won. It outscored the first NFL game that was ever played in London, which was the Bears and the Cowboys back in 1986. They only entertained the Europeans to a 17-6 final score. So I think we saw a different kind of base Ball, but I think it was entertaining, John. Absolutely. A big picture, I think it's a great idea for MLB to go over there, try to expand the interest in Major League Baseball and baseball in general. So the more times they're able to do this, the better off. Uh, in terms of the games, I cannot tell you what went on there. You were there. I don't know if you know. I yeah. mean, the infield was slick. Yep. Uh, center field was too shallow. And the Red Sox bullpen is atrocious. But to get to 50 runs in two games, to me, incredible. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. I'm not sure the center field being too shallow was a major factor as much as we thought it would be going in. The alleys were actually really fair and the corners were deep. I thought a lot of the doubles hit into the left field, right field corners. I thought those were interesting because in you know, a place like Yankee Stadium, down the right field line or Fenway Park in the left field, it's a lot shorter. And those are probably singles instead of doubles. Uh, but you're right about the infield. Everybody talking about it said it was hard dirt. It was fast turf. And that made for an interesting experience. Uh, it was, you know, I thought the crowds were, were great. I mean, it was pretty much a 50-50 split in terms of Red Sox fans and Yankee fans. They didn't see, you know, we sat through a game on Saturday that was three minutes shy of the all-time record for <laughs> longest nine-inning game, which, to no one's surprise, was a Yankees-Red Sox game. Uh, back in 2006, I was at that one. There was another one that was within about five minutes of that that I was at in 2007. And then there was this one that came in at 442. Uh, regardless, you know, they didn't seem to get tired of it. You know, We sit in the press box and we get jaded when a game goes three and a half, four hours. They were entertained, John. I think the fans loved it. I think this 59,000 or whatever it was was fantastic to see. The people who caught foul balls, boy, they were as excited yeah. as I've ever seen anybody before, they must have thought these balls were worth a million dollars. I'm not sure. They're only $10, by the way. Uh, but, you know, the the infield, they did a great job uh, preparing. It looked fantastic. But that infield, it looked like Wimbledon's grass, the way the mm. ball was moving through there uh, so quick. And Wimbledon just starting this week, by the way. But uh, I, I think that was the one change that maybe uh, they, they need to make is have a regular infield. Uh, it, looked, it looked like it was concrete or, as I said, Wimbledon mm -hmm. grass. But... Uh, uh, very interesting games. As I said, we're never going to see a repeat of that again, I don't think. Yeah, and I don't know what the, you know, next year the Cubs and the Cardinals are going over. And, you know, listen, I, I said the Yankees and Red Sox have played games like this at Fenway Park. This really wasn't that outrageous. Uh, but it's interesting that the where these two teams are now compared to where they were a year ago, the Red Sox are still, I mean, they're in the race. They're over 500, but there still seems to be this little hangover from last year which was an all-timer when you talk about 108 wins. And the Yankees are coming off a 100-win season when they were knocked out by Boston, and they seem to be the, the team that's trying to put it into that next gear. They're on a pace right now equal to almost what the Red Sox did a year ago, obviously half the season to go. But the Yankees have really been able to dominate the Red Sox in the early part of this season. 
Yeah, it's very surprising to see them switch places like this. Uh, Boston having a fantastic season last year with 119 wins overall. You do expect a bit of a hangover. Their bullpen obviously not as good. They don't have Kimbrel anymore. So that's a little bit of a, a switch. But basically they have the same team. Uh, the Yankees, uh, I think, are really the shocking one because of all the injuries that they've had. And, you know, even when they say that, well, we're getting healthy, we're doing better, they still always have at least 10 guys and usually 12 or 13 guys on the injured list. Mm -hmm. And to do this, you've got to give them credit. Uh, obviously, Brian Cashman and his people have done, done a fantastic job. Ursula was great. LeMahieu has been a great signing. Adovino's a great signing. Voigt, especially for that money, a, a great signing. We knew the trades for Gleyber Torres and, and others were good, but some of these moves uh, have been moves that normally a small market team would just love to have uh, uh, great bargains. And uh, you gotta, you know, you got to give them credit and give Aaron Boone credit for putting it all together with all the injuries that they've had to be this far in front is really, really shocking. Yeah, and, and I think when people talk about all the injuries, clearly the Yankees lost Aaron Judge for a couple of months, and Giancarlo Stanton has barely played this year. And, and those are the ones that got a lot of attention, and they missed Didi Gregorius and Aaron Hicks at the beginning of the year. But there have been four guys who I think have been constant in that lineup uh, with all the injuries around, and they've really been the driving force, I think, when you think about why the Yankees are still where they are as far as their lineup goes. You mentioned D.J. LeMahieu. I mean, he's been a phenomenal hitter, and I think you know we just didn't give him enough credit because not enough people watched him every day uh, with Colorado where he was a two-time all-star and won a National League batting title. Luke Voigt is now in a full season as opposed to the month, you know, five weeks or so in which he really took off for the Yankees at the end of last year. Glaber Torres, second straight phenomenal year. Uh, and Gary Sanchez missed a couple of weeks early with a minor injury, but, you know, I will argue he has been every bit as valuable as D.J. LeMahieu. He has a higher OPS uh, through the first three months of the season, and he is really back both offensively and defensively to the player he was two years ago. Absolutely. They've gotten an incredible improvement from Sanchez. As you mentioned, Ursula has really kind of burst onto the scene. He was known as kind of a defensive specialist until now, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned LeMahieu. I mean, to me, uh, and you may argue with this, I don't know, but to me, other than Mike Trout, and I understand Mike Trout's the MVP through the first half of the mm -hmm. year, but uh, to me, LeMahieu would be the MVP, if not for Mike Trout, just the way he's hit, the way he's hit in the clutch, and the fact that he can play multiple positions. I give Jim Hendry, their executive, uh, credit on this one. He drafted him for the Cubs. He's the guy I'm sure recommended him yep. to sign. And, and look, just a couple of signings can make all the difference. Uh, just look what the Yankees have done versus the Mets. Basically the same price, LeMahieu, uh, MVP candidate for the Yankees. Mets signed Lowry, who I like him very much as a player. He hasn't gotten on the field. Basically the same money. And then in the bullpen, which we hadn't gotten to yet, uh, Yankees signed Adovino, a New Yorker who's been terrific. Mets uh, signed Familia, who was a New Yorker, was a Met at least mm -hmm. at one time. Uh, they probably should have known better. And he's <laughs> been probably the worst relief pitcher in baseball to this point. So a couple of signings can make a difference, but the Yankees have made about 20 great moves. So give them credit. 
Yeah, and I kind of look at, I think Gary Sanchez gets underplayed in the MVP uh, debate here because LeMahieu has, has really been obviously a different kind of hitter for the Yankees, one they didn't have last year. Uh, who I mean, he, when he's replacing, when the Yankees have missed so much time with Stanton and Judge, you're taking a lot of power, but you're also taking a lot of strikeouts out of the lineup. And LeMahieu's contact ability, especially in those key situations men on base, has really been a, a highlight. But I look at Gary Sanchez, who has been every bit the offensive player that LeMahieu has just in a different way and the fact that everybody was so down on him a year ago both defensively and offensively the comeback he's made and the position he plays how valuable that is the production you're getting from there I think that makes him just as equally valuable as LeMahieu at this point well Sanchez has been fantastic and you're at every game so I should probably defer to you but I'm (laughs) going to stick with LeMahieu as the most valuable Yankee to this point so we will agree to disagree on that one but uh your, your point is well taken on Sanchez being extremely valuable and much improved. Here's the thing about LeMahieu that I really love to point out in that I think part of it is not enough people knew how good of a player he was. And part of it is that chorus field factor that, uh, you know, I know your colleague at MLB Network, who I've spoken to, uh, Dan mm-hmm. O'Dowd, really thinks the offensive players are at a disadvantage uh, playing half of their games in Coors Field to a degree because of what they have to do to readjust every time they have to go on trips and come back. And we shouldn't be penalizing players with big offensive numbers in Colorado. You know, DJ LeMay, he was was hitting about 340 or 350 away from Coors Field because he hasn't played a single game there. Uh, He's just a really phenomenal player. Yeah, it was kind of a, a secret, even though he won a batting title. People looked at it as, well, he didn't put up big power numbers, and he's playing in Coors Field. How good can he be? Well, you know, we see him at a more normal park, not completely normal, because we know Yankee Stadium is a big hitter's park as mm-hmm. well. But uh, he's been fantastic at Yankee Stadium, on the road. He's been great in the field. He's been incredible, as I said, MVP candidate. I'm not going to upset any of the analytics people by saying mm. he's ahead of Trout, but he... Putting Trout aside, he, to me, he's the MVP of the league. So as I was flying back, uh, MLB announced the rest of the reserves for the All-Star team. So I'm a little fuzzy on that. I was watching Creed <laughs> 2 on the plane home and uh, opted for that. We have the full rosters. What did you think about for the uh, All-Star game in Cleveland? Well, first of all, I think the fans did a fantastic job, no pun intended. I think they did incredible this year. I think they... Uh, pick the guy deserving just at just about every position. And if you could quibble a little bit, you someone might say Grandal over Contreras or here or there. They could make a little bit of a quibble. I, I, I think they did. Uh, they batted almost a thousand. So I give them credit. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the, the players did fine. I think uh, the rosters are very interesting. I love the fact that there's 31 first time all stars. I, I don't think there's one obvious snub that we're going to look at. By the way, I lo- love, I mentioned a few guys, uh, Tommy LaStella making the all-star team, fantastic. He had 10 career home runs, 16 in the first half this year. Uh, I can't believe Anthony Rendon had never been an all-star before. Mm. Great to see him on the team. James McCann, first-time all 31, 31. Almost half the, the teams are first-time all-stars. So, you know, I think... Uh, that is absolutely terrific. Obviously, we have the normal, usual stars, the Trouts, the Bellinger, Yelich, and all those players. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a great event in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I think I think they've done well. In terms of uh, the snubs, I don't think there is an obvious guy. There are a few. Tatis has been one of the best players when he's been healthy, but he only played 48 games. So I could see a case 
to not take him, although I thought he deserved it. And I think, you know, it's funny that a couple of the snubs, I think, were from the Yankees and a couple were from the Red Sox. I, mm-hmm. I think a good case could be made for Torres and Voight, and yep. the same with the Red Sox for, for Devers and uh, Bogarts. But I think McCora being the manager, he might rectify the Red Sox uh, oversights. But, uh, you know, those are, the, those are the snubs that I could see. I don't know what you thought. I, and I love the idea that, you know, we talked about LeMahieu and Cleveland, or I'm sorry, and uh, and Colorado and how sometimes that overshadows some great players. Charlie Blackman is a phenomenal player. And just to see these guys on a stage, there's there's been a little mystery taken away from the All-Star game because there is so much baseball on TV. But when you and I were growing up, the All-Star game was maybe the only time all year we saw certain players. And I have a feeling that's still true for players like Charlie Blackman. Right. And we, we interleague play- Play now, so you see all the teams at least a, a little bit. Uh, but yes, Charlie Blackman is a, is an underrated star. Uh, obviously, uh, what did he had a series recently. We had like 15 or 16 hits in a. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, uh, you know. And people don't realize what a good player that he is. Uh, and you know, I I just love the fact that we're going to see all these great stars. I think we're going to see the best of the best. Plus, we're going to see the guys that are now emerging on the scene as as new coming stars, like a uh, Joey Gallo and. Uh, guys like that who are really now coming into their own. So uh, it should be a fantastic event in Cleveland. We've got a lot still to come here. We're going to talk to Atlanta Braves general manager Alex Anthopoulos. The Braves are in first place as they open play in July and uh, look to uh, get back to the postseason. And uh, we'll talk to James Rapine, who covers the Cleveland Indians for Radio.com Station 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. And John has a lot of juicy nuggets on the insider segment. That's still to come. I'm Sweeney Murdy sitting in for Josh Lewin. You're listening to Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports, presented by Mercedes Benz A Class. Alex Anthopoulos, former Toronto Blue Jays vice president of baseball operations, now the Atlanta Braves general manager. Here's Riley. He unloads high in the air, deep left. The Braves have gone back to it's Alex Anthopoulos on Radio.com Sports, Big Time Baseball. We're back on Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. I'm Sweeney Murdy sitting in for Josh Lewin along with John Heyman. And joining us now is the Atlanta Braves general manager and executive vice president, Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, Alex, you've uh, thanks for joining us. First of all, you've been through this time of year now, a month to go to the trading deadline with with three different organizations having helped do it with the Blue Jays and with the Dodgers. Uh, now as you sit in first place uh, with a couple of weeks uh, till the All-Star break, how do you feel about your team heading into this one? I think, I think overall it's been, a, it's been a good stretch for us. Uh, there's no doubt that the Nationals are definitely getting hot. I know the Mets obviously have had some rough luck, but we all know that they have a lot of talent and the Marlins are, are openly rebuilding. So uh, we've played well, but you know, we made up a lot of ground in the month of June. We had a fantastic month, and with another three months left, uh, beyond that, we know things can change. So I don't think we take anything for granted at all. I think um, we have a big series coming up against Philadelphia starting tomorrow, and uh, hopefully we'll play well going into the break, and we'll basically reevaluate where we are when we come out of the break in terms of trade. Hey, Alex, John Heyman here. You made one of the two big in-season moves so far to get uh, Dallas Keuchel. I kind of chuckled at that one. I don't know if you recall at the – 
winter meetings that I reported you guys were going to be interested in Keuchel. I, I think I might have been predicting it because you kind of talked me off it at the time and said you really haven't been looking at starting pitchers that carefully. Obviously, things changed over months' time, and the price tag came way down. Um, why did you ultimately decide to go for Keuchel? How has he been so far, and where do you think you go from here in terms of another starting pitcher or maybe Penn or maybe something else? Sure. No, and we In the offseason, we didn't talk to Keuchel at all. Um, we were pretty bullish on our talent and our rotation. We liked, obviously, Gosman came back. He was fantastic for us in 2018 and ended up with, I think, a 280 RA the two months he was there with us and really carried us in the month of August when we needed him with, like, a mid-1 ERA. So, and then Fultonavich was coming off an all-star year, and then we were very excited about guys like Freed, Soroka, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Colby Allard. We felt like we were pretty deep. Uh, we looked to be opportunistic if there was you know, good value in a trade. We, we talked to the Yankees a little bit about Gray, um, checked in on guys like Charlie Morton and so on, but we weren't planning on being aggressive uh, for a starter at the time. Look, obviously the year starts, things changed fast. Fultonavich wasn't performing the way he had. He'd gotten hurt in the spring. Gosman hasn't performed uh, the way he has in, in the past. And if you look at our rotation ERA, pretty much the entire year um, in the NL, we've ranked anywhere from, I think, 8th to 12th. And that's been a real problem for us. So um, when Keuchel was still out there, uh, it was rare you get an opportunity to add someone for dollars only and not have to give up players. So it's something that really came together right around the, the, the draft. We probably talked to uh, his representatives a week prior. Uh, and thought that the price was just way out of our range and we weren't engaged, and it was dead. And um, I'd say the week of the draft, all of a sudden, the price changed, and we were able to get a deal done very fast. So as as uh, John asked you after, where do you go from here? What do you think your needs are as you've got about a month to figure this out? Only one trade deadline, too, to uh, make your moves, and you've got a farm system that I think everyone's pretty envious of, so you can get almost anything you want. Where do you think you want to go from here? I think like anything, I still think we need uh, our rotation to improve. Uh, when you look at the other teams in the NL, and our success last year was, I think we were second or third in the NL in starters ERA, and that ultimately was really what carried us. Um, I think we got us exposed from an offensive standpoint in the playoffs against L.A., and that was really our approach in the offseason, to try to add more power, more offense, and have more depth, have a stronger bench, and that's where the Donaldson signing came in. Uh, right now, though, um, I'd say we're going to evaluate and hope guys like Mike Fulton, which he just had a start in Gwinnett, did very well. Gosman's on his way back. Uh, he should be starting a rehab assignment here very soon. Um, obviously, we've got guys like Ender and CRT coming back, and we'll have Bryce Wilson make a start against Philadelphia, and Kyle Wright's really starting to uh, throw well, as well as Colt Colby Allard. So I think we're going to want to take as much time as we can to evaluate our internal options. And, you know, if they don't turn it around or we, we need to go do something, I think you could see us try to make a move for a starter. Uh, but at, at the same time, you know, we're hopeful and optimistic. We have a lot of talent internally that if they can get it turned around, they'll be as good, if not better, than anything we can go out and get. Yeah, Alex, I think I'm going to ask you about uh, some deals you've already made in terms of the contracts for your, your players. And I, I think you're the perfect general manager for Liberty Media. And this is me saying this, not you. They don't exactly throw the money around, and I, I've criticized them for, for not spending, but uh, you've made some great moves in terms of contracts. Uh, obviously, the Marcakis deal was uh, very, very reasonable, and uh, a lot of attention was given uh, to the Acuna and particularly the Albas deal. And uh, 
I think uh, we spoke about this uh, previously, and particularly the Albies deal. Uh, he and his agent were cr- roundly criticized. I didn't think it was as bad as other people thought in terms of what Albies did. But you you got these guys under at least reasonable deals. Acuna could be is a superstar already. Um, and there were other guys who, who wanted to do multi-year. I think Fultonavich would have liked to have done it, and you decided not to. Uh, could you explain your decision-making on all of these guys in terms of the young guys and the long-term deals and wh- where you, you think you did on these on these contracts? Sure. Well, the, there's no doubt um, if, if, if for the right player, for the right deal, makes sense to lock things in and know we have players under control for a certain period of time. I think always easier for a position player, just the volatility of arms, health, regression and performance. I think we also take, you know, I think we also lose sight of the fact of having these players for six years when they get started, potentially seven years if they come up in the middle of the year, it's a long time. And I'd say as, an, as a younger general manager, I was probably more in a rush to do deals early. And then I realized over time that we can wait and there was no harm in waiting and there's volatility in performance and so on. Um, I think on the deals that we did do, you look, you look at the Acuna deal, uh, less than a year of service when we signed them. Uh, the previous high was a new re- new deal that had been done by the White Sox and Eloy Jimenez, I believe at $43 million or so. Uh, that's the most ever guaranteed money. Uh, we we blew that out of the water, giving Acuna $100 million. Um, and really, we looked at guys like Mike Trout. I think Trout got 140 or $144 million, uh, about four years away from free agency. Ronald was six years away from free agency, and as much as we love him and we think he's great, um, I don't think there's anyone to the to the class of Mike Trout. So when you look at the gap there uh, between Trout and Acuna in terms of guaranteed money, and he's still going to be young enough to get a second deal. I think he'll be 30 years old the last year of his deal. So um, I've seen it before where you guarantee guys dollars and guys get criticized and so on, but um, they're still young enough to get a deal. And then you look at guys like Ozzy Albies. Uh, you know, we looked at guys like Marte, I think signed for $25 million guaranteed. Whit Merrifield signed for $15 million guaranteed. Um, and you know, we looked at some of these, these deals and we gave, we gave Ozzy $35 million guaranteed. So we upped the dollars there. I think, I think like anything, I think everyone's excited about these players. They're young players. He'll also be young enough to get a second big deal. Hopefully they're both from us. Um, but I think people are think so highly of these players. Maybe that's why they ultimately feel that there's all kinds of upside and so on. And we hope so. I mean, the goal for, for all these things is that, Players outperform these deals, and there's a next deal that that comes. If they if they they don't, probably means there's a dip in performance or there's an injury and so on. So, getting that security when you're five six years out, um, you know I understand it for both sides. And some players don't have any interest in doing those deals, and that's fine as well. Um, but from our standpoint. To try to keep this core together, especially considering how young these guys are, was very important to us. We're talking with Alex Anthopoulos, Atlanta Braves general manager. This is Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. Sweeney Murdy sitting in for Josh Lewin and John Heyman as well. Alex, I, I want to ask you about two of your veteran players now. Uh, I-, I never, you know, Freddie Freeman is such a, uh, such a uh, fascinating player because he puts up big numbers. I'm not sure he ever gets enough love in MVP-type discussions um, uh, nationally. And he brings a lot to the table. And uh, what Josh Donaldson brought to you, I, I kind of felt when you signed him, you were looking for the Kirk Gibson to the Dodgers type of spark. Is that what he's bringing to you? What has he brought to the table? Yeah, I think there's a few things. One, in terms of Freddie and uh, MVP, things like that. I think that goes hand-in-hand with being on a winning club early on in his career. They did win. Uh, but ultimately, he's a young man. He wasn't at the level he is now. 
last year, you know, winning the NL East, first time he was selected to start the All-Star game, first time he won a gold glove, and now back-to-back starting the NL All-Star game. So I do think winning comes with that, and the exposure, as great as he is and as great as he's been, um, I think winning helps. I mean, I think that there's no no doubt about it. Teams, A lot of people follow the team. Uh, in terms of Josh Donaldson, one-year deal with the upside, the bounce-back potential, and he was in line to get a huge extension from Toronto. Things didn't obviously work out with, with the injuries and health, but we felt like there was tremendous upside. And beyond that, we went into the offseason not knowing if all these would rebound from the second half, uh, not fully knowing what the results would be of Dan Swanson having had surgery on his wrist and so on, even though we were op- optimistic. You don't know that you're ultimately going to have these guys healthy, performing the whole way. And then a guy like Camargo had a fantastic year for us, but I don't know. it would have been a lot to expect him to repeat that and no depth behind those guys. So knowing that we needed depth, uh, we were banking on repeat performances, health, things like that. And then the upside of a Donaldson and the fact that Camargo can play all over the place, our bench was that much stronger, one-year deal. Um, it just made a lot of sense for us. So, yeah, there's no doubt. He's tough. He brings energy. He's a complete player, runs the bases, plays defense, power, pure hitter, all those type of things. But it really was a collective thing as a whole. As We wanted a power bat. It didn't need to be a third base. But in terms of the Machados and the Harpers and him, obviously from a contractual standpoint and a commitment, uh, there was more risk, but obviously he's much more short-term and not as big a commitment and still the same upside in our mind that he could be as good an offensive player in 2019 as those those two. Alex, to follow up real quick on, on Donaldson, uh, you made a great trade for him uh, with Toronto. And, uh, you know, he's a very, very talented player, obviously. But uh, I'm wondering, with Riley now performing for you, uh, did that come into the equation at all? Because Riley had been a third baseman. I, I've seen him in the outfield, and he, and he looks pretty decent in the outfield. Uh, did, did you, When you signed Donaldson, did you think Riley was a year away, or did you have the outfield in mind for Riley? So we still, you know, again, it's just like anything else, it's so hard to bank on when young players are going to perform. We had Austin Riley as our top-ranked prospect in the organization, very high on him top to bottom in the organization. Had a, a disjointed season last year in AAA for us, got off to a great start there, then hit a bit of a lull, then got hurt, then came back, didn't swing the bat that well, got hot right at the end. But we just didn't know how much more time he would need. Would he need a full season? When would he be ready? Long-term, we still had very strong opinions and feelings on him. Um, But we felt he was a good enough athlete that if his bat got hot at some point and he was to force his way up to Atlanta, we would find a spot for him. And We talked to him the day we signed Donaldson. I called him. Um, and said, look, we want you to get some reps in the outfield, start practicing. Uh, we still think you're a long-term third, third baseman, but you're a good enough athlete, and that if your back can get going the way we think it can, uh, we will find a spot for you. And you look at guys like Pujols played the outfield when he started. Chipper Jones at certain points played the outfield. Uh, Yonder Alonso played the outfield. So guys have done that. Teams have done that before. When they need to break guys in, they'll put them in the outfield because their bats are that, that good. And you know, the big thing with Riley is he needed to make a change with his swing. Uh, he was late in terms of uh, getting his hands ready on, on time. And if you look at his first few weeks in the minor leagues this year, he did not do well at all. His ground balls were up. Swing and miss was very high. Did not hit at all. And our hitting coach and him really got together and worked hard at it. And after a few weeks of doing some drills and getting ready on time and so on, he just exploded. And then basically, you know, at, at that point, we had no choice but to call him up, and he's been huge for us ever since. Alex, I have one for you from uh, looking ahead a couple of weeks as a guy that you knew pretty well is being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Sadly, it's posthumously. 
Roy Halladay, uh, during your days in Toronto, was an absolute star, and he will be among the uh, the new honorees in Cooperstown coming up later this month. What uh, when you come up to Hall of Fame weekend, you're going to be thinking about what Roy Halladay meant to the Blue Jays, to baseball, and your personal experiences with him. What jumps to your mind? Oh, there's so many things uh, that, that jump to my mind about him. Um, it, like a lot of things when you bring up his name come to mind. I mean, one thing that um, stuck to me in terms of the man, in terms of the work ethic and everything else is so he had a, a suite that he devoted to kids um, in Toronto. It was called Doc's Box, and he would give it. It was a, it was a suite for charities and so on. And I remember at one point early on in my time in Toronto, I, had to, I was doing a tour or something, and I, ha- I had to go in there, and there was a mural on the wall, this type of foods he liked favorite things, this and that, and one of them was, is written on a wall, Doc's favorite uh, saying in life, or something to that effect, and it was, always do more than you have to, and I think that exemplified him so well, because that's what he was about in terms of work ethic, and everything he needed to do, he always did more than he needed to, whether it was on the field, off the field, for the organization, whatever they, they needed, very committed to the organization, wanted to win, loved being in Canada, um, and then beyond that, we know the ability was off the charts. Um, you don't know what it's like to have a number one frontline starter unless you're around one every day and you get to be part of a team. And Pat Hankin used to always say when Halliday was going to pitch, you felt like it was the team felt like it was win day. And after he was gone, we didn't really have anybody to fill those shoes. And we didn't actually feel that way until we traded for Price again. And that's where you felt like every day. And then I went to L.A. and Clayton Kershaw was there and you felt that way. So you really know when you have a true one, you feel like you're winning that day no, no matter what. Um, but I know this would have obviously meant a ton to him, his family, and so on. I think it's great for, obviously, Canada, the Blue Jays, Philadelphia as well. Uh, just a pure class across the board. I don't think you'll ever find anybody has a bad word to say about Doc. Alex, thanks for the time. Thanks for those thoughts on uh, Roy Halladay, and good luck to you. You're opening July in first place, and I know it's going to be a busy month as you get uh, to the end of the trade deadline and as you're looking for another postseason berth. Thanks for giving us a couple of minutes here. All right, guys, glad to do it. That's Alex Anthopoulos, Braves general manager on Big Time Baseball on Radio.com Sports. I'm Sweeney Murdy along with John Heyman. We're back with more. Santana batting left-handed, Lindor at second. Swung on, hit a ton. Deep center field. It is gone! Carlos Santana has delivered again! We're back on Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports, presented by Mercedes-Benz A-Class, along with insider John Heyman. I'm Sweeney Murdy, sitting in for Josh Lewin. And we head now to Cleveland, where we check in with James Rapine, who covers the Indians for Radio.com's 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. Uh, James, how you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? How do you feel about the Indians at this point? You're almost, you're basically the halfway point, and Minnesota's opened up a pretty big lead. It was double digits at one point, but the Indians are kind of still hanging around, aren't they? They are. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a heck of a, a first half of the year for the Indians between the, the off season and uh, obviously they shed salary and just kind of the, the fan mood going into the year wasn't great, and they've dealt with uh, their fair share of injuries. Uh, and yet, still seven games above 500, three all stars, and. Uh, They've kept their head above water uh, despite um, having multiple injuries, multiple starters go down, uh, which is something they weren't expecting and hoping uh, that the rotation could carry them coming in. So, yeah, I think that uh, 
they're in a good spot when you consider everything that they, they've had to go through during this first half of the year. Hey, James, I'm actually a little concerned. I, I had declared them a playoff team. I've said that they're going to make the playoffs a few days ago. And then right after they did that, I said that <laughs> they lost two straight games, 13 to nothing to the Orioles, which I, I think was the first time in history anybody's lost two straight games by 13 to nothing to such a terrible <laughs> team. I know that's not an official statistic, but I mean, does that they have a great manager. They have talent. I mean, does that concern anybody that they, they, they it looked like they took two days off there? Yeah, it did feel that way. I mean, anytime you lose 13, nothing, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a, a little shocking. I, I would say when it happens back to back days. And then when you consider the opponent, especially, uh, you, you start to wonder, but that's, that's kind of been what, what we've seen this year is, is outside of the past couple of weeks where the Indians up until this, this past weekend, where the Indians have strung together, uh, multiple series wins have strung together, uh, winning streak eight of ten, uh, seven of, of ten, and some stretches. They've they've been inconsistent, and I think part of that has to do with the injuries. Now they're relying on young arms. They're relying on Zach Plesac, who isn't going to be great every single outing. They're relying on uh, players that they weren't really expecting to early on this year. So yeah, the, the inconsistency uh, has certainly been a theme outside of. Uh, two weeks uh, prior to this Orioles series where they, it seemed like they were putting things together. So I, I wouldn't say it's super alarming. I think that it, it is something to, to pay attention to because they were just building momentum going into the break, and we'll see here if they can figure it out and seize it here before they go into the All-Star break this weekend. If so, I think they could feel really good about where they are in the first half. But if they, they drop another series or two here this week, then uh, it could really set the tone going into the break, a negative one after such a positive resurgence over the past few weeks. James Rapine, who covers the Indians for Radio.com's 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Uh, James, I'm looking at the Indian schedule, and obviously they've still got a lot of head-to-heads still left with the Twins. They have a series right after the All-Star break in Cleveland, part of a long homestand that includes the Tigers and the Royals, so they have a chance to, to make up some ground and win some games a couple of bad against a couple of bad teams after that Twins series, but there is a hellacious stretch in August where they will play <laughs> the Rangers, the Twins, the Red Sox, and the Yankees in back-to-back series for, over the course of two weeks. Um, what do you think about where they stand and what what lies ahead on the schedule there? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you look over the past few weeks where they've made this surge and they feasted on a lot of bad teams, excluding Baltimore. And then you look ahead and since they're playing a lot of bad teams now, that means the Twins, the Yankees, that means they're going to have to take care of them. And, and here's what I would say is they there's a reason – uh, they've won the division three straight years, and while it feels like the, the Twins, and doesn't even feel like they are the front runner, and they are the favorite to, to win the Central this season, uh, I think that them having that many head-to-head matchups against the Rangers, obviously, as they battled for the wild card Yankees, and then also the, the Twins, it's a good spot for them to be in, because we could be talking about Corey Kluber being back on the mound by then. We're certainly talking about Mike Clevenger being back on the mound by then. The young guys uh, that they're going to be relying on can continue to develop. Oscar Mercado, who's been great for them, maybe he continues what he's doing and can help them here in that stretch. So if you do look at a stretch, though, that could define this season for the Indians, and it's so it's been so up and down, and a month ago everyone in Cleveland was saying there's no way they're making the playoffs. A couple of days ago a lot of people thought that they would make that playoff push. That August stretch where they play a bunch of good teams, including the Twins, that's uh, that's one of those that could define the season for them, and I do think that they're going to hang around. Though I don't think the Twins are going to run away from them if they if they 
that was going to happen, I think it would have already happened. So I think Cleveland will be in the mix here for the division um, and in striking distance considering how many games they have against this win. Now, can they actually do it? Can they win enough head-to-heads to gain ground on Minnesota? I'm not sure, but I don't think that this race is over for the Central. Yeah, I would I would agree that they're clearly in the race, uh, it, certainly for a wild card. And, you know, they, they were favored to start the year in that division, and uh, they are certainly in good position for a wild card now. Yet, even before the season started, over the winter, and now we've heard about all sorts of speculation involving uh, Trevor Bauer, their great pitcher. And, uh, you know, it seems unlikely that they would be able to, try to trade him and still try to thread the needle and stay in the race. Uh, what do you think about that? Is this just idle speculation? Is this the long shot that you would think it is, or is this a reality that they may end up trading Trevor Bauer? I think it's a reality. I certainly think they're going to get calls. There'll be plenty of teams that are interested, and I think the Indians will, will entertain them. They certainly took uh, plenty of offers and calls during the offseason. And the, the thing that I think – it could be contingent upon is Corey Kluber in his house. I, he's just started throwing at 60 feet. I, I think once he, as he continues to progress during his rehab, if he's close to coming back in early to mid-August, and you know that you're getting a two-time Cy Young Award winner back, then it might make it a lot easier to part with Trevor Bauer while you're in the race. Because if, if they don't trade him this, this season and before the deadline, I think they're going to seriously look to move him uh, in the winter. So I, I don't think it's a matter of if Trevor Bauer gets traded, it's when. And if they feel good about Kluber and the rest of that rotation, then maybe they could uh, they could move him here at the deadline and still improve their team, not only this year as they, they make that playoff push, but uh, beyond. James, thanks for giving us uh, some time. Enjoy the, well, the All-Star games in Cleveland. So enjoy that and uh, the second half, and we'll talk again soon. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. That's James Rapine, covers the Indians for Radio.com's 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. I'm Sweeney Murdy along with John Heyman, and John's insider segment is still to come. This is Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. Swung on and missed strike three, and the ball game is over. And the Mets have lost their seventh game in a row, and again, the bullpen let it get away late. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio Radio.com Sports, Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Along with John Heyman, I'm Sweeney Murdy sitting in for Josh Lewin. We wrap up, as we do every week, with the insider segment with John Heyman, who is obviously one of the best MLB Network and Radio.com stations, uh, getting the inside scoop for you. And, John, let's start uh, in my backyard in New York, across the way, it's not going quite so well for the Mets as it is for the Yankees. And, you know, I remember thinking this week, uh, heading into a Subway series, probably wouldn't be the time, ideal time, to fire a manager. Uh, you want to see him kind of get through that. But uh, from what you're hearing, Mickey Calloway isn't in any imminent danger, despite all the craziness of the last week or 10 days. No, I do not believe that he is. And I've seen some speculation out there that he might be, particularly with a team having lost seven in a row and falling to 10 under at one point. But uh, from what I understand, and we're going to define foreseeable future here, because that's the term that the Mets people used when they basically gave a vote of confidence to Mickey Calloway. Uh, my understanding is that barring something unforeseen and really terrible, that he is 
safe for the year. That So he's in the same boat as Gabe Kapler, other than his team is not doing as well as Kapler is in Philadelphia. But I, I do believe that Jeff Wilpon, the owner of the team, and uh, Brody Van Wagenen, the general manager, do like Mickey very much, and uh, they're planning on him being there at least for the year. Uh, after next year, I wouldn't uh, count on that. Uh, obviously, this season is not going as expected. Uh, they were hopeful and expecting uh, to be a, a playoff team, and I think that it's likely that they'll have a new manager next year. That's me talking now. They're not saying that. Uh, I think another reason beyond the fact that they like Mickey uh, very much is that uh, uh, Brody's going to want to have his own manager, and to do that, you need to conduct a search, and uh, he's not going to be able to do a search in season. So that's why I believe that Mickey Callaway uh, will last a year. Of course, it is possible if things go really bad that they'd have to do the interim, and they have Jim Riggleman there who's been an interim many, many times and very, very mm. capable fellow, and he could do it. But as I said, I think Mickey is – Pretty safe for the year. Another interesting manager-general manager relationship within the National League East is in Philadelphia with Matt Klentak and Gabe Kapler. Last season started out okay for the Phillies, but they they came to a miserable finish. And uh, this year they're still in the race, but um, the relationship between Klentak and Kapler at this point as you see it. Yeah, I, you know what? I think Klentak has been his number one supporter right from the beginning. He, that was his hire, I, I think, had Andy McPhail hired, uh, made the hire or somebody else uh, made that hire, I'm not sure that Gabe Kapler would have gotten the job. So I think Klintek has always been his number one supporter. He still remains in his corner. He's said out loud that he is there for the year. I think we take them at his word. As we get into the trade season, I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how quickly it moves. Usually there's a lot of movement later towards the end of July, but the teams have always had the August deadline to fall back on as well. That is no longer part of the CBA and part of the uh, uh, the agenda for a general manager, so all their deals have to get done by July 31st. As we begin to look at pitching, the Texas Rangers are in an interesting spot because they're in the race for the wild card spot, yet they have some pitching, uh, uh, some starting pitchers that could be attractive. Mike Miner is one. Lance Lynn, who just signed in the offseason, is another. What do you hear on these guys? Well, Mike Miner would be extremely popular if they do trade him. And my understanding is that Texas Rangers are open to anything. So uh, Mike Miner is somebody that teams are inquiring about. Um, right now, as you said, Texas is right in the thick of the race. I, I still think it would be unusual for them to trade Miner, but I think Texas and John Daniels, their general manager, is a guy who is willing to consider anything. So he'll listen if somebody comes with something for Miner or Lynn. Uh, but in Miner's case, from what I'm hearing, that uh, they're treating him like a Cy Young winner, and I don't blame them. Right now, uh, he is a Cy Young contender. Uh, he has been one of the top four pitchers, depending on how you look at it. If you go by war, he's been the top starting pitcher in the American League. But uh, by many measures, he's he's in the top. Basically, by every measure, he's in the top four in the American League. So uh, it would take a haul, but I, I wouldn't rule it out at this point. Seems unlikely, but uh, still some chance because, as I said, Texas open to anything. The Detroit Tigers are hurtling towards another 100-loss season. Matthew Boyd could be an attractive option. What do you hear there? Yeah, he is clearly available, and uh, what I'm of the understanding is that the asking price is huge on him. Uh, he strikes out uh, close to 12 per nine. He walks fewer than two, so people like that these days. They really look at uh, the strikeout and walk ratio, and his is excellent. His record, his ERA may not be quite as good, but he's very popular out there. From what I'm hearing 
from other GMs is that the asking price at the moment is over the top. That's the expression that I've heard from a couple of general managers who are interested. Uh, I hear that the asking price is high, and others, over the top sounds extremely high. Uh, I don't blame Detroit for asking for the moon. We've still got uh, almost a month to go before the deadline, so certainly can do that. But I do think that uh, this is the time for the Tigers to make that trade because they are still a rebuilding team. He's got a couple years to go. His value is high. My ultimate uh, belief on this is that they do need to trade Matthew Boyd. The asking price is high is something we hear a lot with this much time still before the actual deadline. And it's not just for starting pitchers, for relievers as well. Kirby Yates has had an all-star season in San Diego. The asking price on him, if the Padres decide to pull the plug on what is a playoff run for them, perhaps, uh, that's pretty high at this point, too. That's what we're hearing on Kirby Yates. He's been an excellent closer, arguably the best in the National League uh, this year. Uh, San Diego has done this before with closers and relievers, and uh, Hand became a star there, and then they went and traded him for a top prospect, Mejia. And I do believe that even though San Diego's in the race for a wild card, they're not going to win that division. I think we all agree the Dodgers will win that division, but they're in the race. But uh, A.J. Preller is willing to consider uh, anything. Obviously, he came up and uh, worked for John Daniels many years in Texas. I think they're of the same belief that you really have to consider things. And I wouldn't be shocked if, if Yates is traded. Uh, the asking price, uh, very high. Last year, I believe they asked for uh, Devers from the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox uh, feel good about not agreeing to that trade. Hmm. Uh, but it's going to be something along those lines because uh, it's going to be a seller's market. I don't think there's any question about that. Many of the teams that are uh, sellers at this point have very little to sell. And then there's a lot of teams that are kind of in the middle, about a, a dozen teams that are in the middle and may end up not selling. So uh, uh, the, the the price will be high, understandably so, but I would not be surprised at all if Yates were traded. Well, Devers would not be in the conversation again this year, but the Red Sox might be knocking on Yates or other uh, relievers' doors at this point because their pen is still an obvious need as uh, they hit the halfway point of the season. Absolutely, as you saw in London, and I think mm-hmm. it really came home to roost. Uh, Boston <laughs> uh, pen is not too good, uh, having a lot of no-name pitchers filling out that pen, but uh, this is a team with the biggest payroll in the game, and they certainly want to win. Uh, obviously, they are over the luxury tax threshold now, so uh, they might want to limit uh, the spending to some degree, but that, that could mean just trading their better prospects. They don't have a lot of great prospects, but uh, uh, they're going to be looking for pen help. Uh, Yates is a guy they've talked about. They've made deals in the past with San Diego. Uh, Dombrowski, though, his MO is generally to go for the really hard thrower. That's the guy, kind of guy that he likes, so they will certainly be looking at him and others. Uh, there are other relievers who are going to be out there. Will Smith from San Francisco. Potentially Vasquez from Pittsburgh, although they're in the middle, and I kind of think they're going to try to hang in there and see what they can do in a tight, tough uh, NL Central, uh, but uh, Yates is the guy who's going to be very popular with Boston and others. July is always an interesting point to mark the season because teams have uh, just passed the halfway point, the 81-game mark of their season, over the course of the last week or so. And uh, then you head to the All-Star break, 4th of July. These are all like kind of good marking points to see where your team stands. But July means something else uh, when you're talking about the New York Mets because July 1st every year brings up a day that, it doesn't really sit well with Met fans because it means another payment to Bobby Bonilla, doesn't it, John? Yes, it does. And to, uh, July 1st is Bobby Bonilla Day, uh, <laughs> 1.19 million, 1. 1. million. I don't want to shortchange Bobby wow. Bo. 
uh, goes into his coffers every July 1st, and he's got he's already got nine payments now, uh, counting this week's, and uh, he's got 16 more coming. 25 mm. payments of uh, almost 1.2 million dollars. So that 5.9 million that they owed him in 2000. Uh, by delaying it and giving him 8% interest uh, has going to be resulting in $30 million going to Bobby Bonilla. John, uh, we look forward to you getting no sleep and filling our tweets up uh, <laughs> with all kinds of great information. Thanks for letting me sit in with you here. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and hopefully I get a chance to do it with you again. That sounds great, Sweeney. Same here. That's John Heyman, MLB Insider for MLB Network and Radio.com stations like 670 The Score in Chicago and WFAN in New York. Uh, my thanks to John. Josh Lewin for taking today off and letting me sit in for him uh, on the Big Time Baseball podcast. Uh, We are brought to you by Mercedes-Benz A-Class on Radio.com Sports. Our thanks to Alex Anthopoulos, to James Lapine, and of course, once again, to John Heyman. Thank you all for listening. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.